we're back in the midst of this pandemic season and a wild college football Saturday, uh, to say the least. Uh, I mean, like, where do you start even, Marshall, with uh, it, whether it's Indiana, Penn State, even Middle Tennessee Rice with the quadruple? <laughs> like, I mean, where, where do you even start with uh, this weekend, honestly? Yeah, I mean, and not even just in terms of college football. Like, obviously, you know, we're going to focus here on college football, but like, you saw the end of the World Series. Like, all, all the sports world is kind of going crazy right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, 2020 is like saying just 2020, folks. It's become a cliche, but it's kind of been a coverall in the world of sports. It's pretty insane. Nutty, dude. Nutty. <laughs> which brings us Where do you want to start first? Which brings us to, uh, to our, our next point. My bad, Marshall. Uh, but uh, brings us to our first point. Um, the independence. So the golden age of independent football. If um, we have a list, if our listener base is even old enough to remember, probably not. You had in the eighties. You had South Carolina's independent. You had pretty much the entire entirety of the Big East playing independent ball. Georgia Tech as well. Miami. You name it. A ton of independents playing good football all over the place. And now. I wouldn't say we're at sort of a golden age again, but there's a lot of independence, whether it's New Mexico State, who got booted from their conference, Liberty, who's trying to go on the ascent to joining a group of five conference with their deep pockets, being the uh, sort of Notre Dame of the, you know, the evangelical Christians like myself, <laughs> <laughs> the traditional, the traditional um, independent, they try their time in, in a conference in Conference USA. Well, well, Omar, for that, I have a quick question for you then, I guess. Yeah, of course. So it's like, you know, given the, all the independents coming around again, what's your take on then, you know, Notre Dame going and playing conference games in the ACC this year? I think for this year only, yeah. I, th- I think it's a good move because they would have been playing, as, we'll go in, as we go on later, we'll talk about the states of the independence. As, uh, this seems to be a sort of revival for independent football. But they would have been playing, who knows, like, Whatever CUSA team had their non-conference schedules uh, changed, uh, it would have been hard to fill schedules in any other power conference. I mean, the Big 12 had one conference game for each school, uh, but they made the right move for this year, but they made it clear. It's like, you know, it's going to take a pandemic for us to join a conference, and even then, it's one year, so don't even try it, ACC. You don't think this could lead to some kind of sustained conference play for them? Maybe even Absolutely joining? Not. And I'll tell you the why. ACC? I'll tell you why. No. It's because of money. It's because yeah. of money. It's because of the football money. Because you think you think Notre Dame wants to be at the mercy of the ACC and like the networks choosing their games every um, every two weeks. Because uh, I mean, they got their games on NBC. They got their home games on NBC. You think they're gonna give that up to for an appearance a couple year, a couple years on, a, or a couple times a year? Excuse me, on ESPN, ESPN two, heck, even ESPN U if they're playing a bottom feeder in the ACC. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I get it, but what, what, let's say, you know, let's say things radically change, TV contracts go to streaming, how does that affect them? I think Notre Dame, uh, I think they're bigger than streaming, honestly, because they're on an over-the-air network, they're on NBC, everyone gets NBC, you know, like, yeah. you, you don't need a Roku box to get NBC or, you know, YouTube TV or whatnot, it, it's there. It's not hey, man, hey, man, out here <laughs> in the forest, I don't get NBC, man, I don't get nothing. <laughs> well, that's a good point. I mean, NBC has their NBC go, but I, I'd say, Marshall, if I'll correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're in the minimum here. You're in the uh, minority. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, some would argue that. Like, you know, some would argue <laughs> that the minimum, you know, being where I am, only watches sports on crackstreams.com. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, uh, we'll, we'll edit that later on to be a uh, watch the streams on redacting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that. But in carrying on this point, this year, it's kind of funny with the pandemic, how this year's sort of been a golden age, a short one, even though it might be a short golden age for the independents. So I'll start, I'll start off with Army, my school, of course, going six and one. We just regained our ranking in the coaches' poll. We were ranked early on in the year when uh, only 80 or so teams were playing college football. A loss to Cincinnati, who we'll talk about later on, pushed us out. But we're going six and one. And looking at the schedule, we got we have uh, Georgia Southern, Tulane, Air Force, and Navy. So we got those four games. You look at it game by game. Tulane, they can like Tulane is probably one of the most inconsistent teams in the country. You never know what you're going to get. You know, one like one half they'll be blowing the brakes off of Navy on ABC, and then the next half yeah. they blow a 24 point lead. Uh, Next week they'll have a uh, Southern Miss. We'll drop 66 on Southern Miss with their um, zone with their zone read offense. Uh, next week uh, they'll look horrible in Amer in uh, American Conference play. But a mixed bag there. Georgia Southern, on the other hand, they play great defense, but they can't really seem to score that much points. So that's a winnable game for Army, and Army's calling card is their offense, especially if they're playing another option offense. Like you know, shouldn't be too hard for the Army defense to play there. So we're looking at eight wins there. And then the academy games. And last night I was watching the Air Force San Jose State game, and that that offense it just looked lethargic against San Jose State. They only scored six points, only had 206 rushing yards on 49 carries without, and lost 17-6 to the Spartans, who are who are on the come up, I will say. But you know that's not typically a game you see Air Force losing. And then Navy, you don't know which Navy you're going to get each week. Um, that's not to diss our our arch rivals, but um, they just they just can't seem to run the the option offense that they've done in the past. You can see them hurting from the loss of Malcolm Perry uh, this year. So, I mean, looking at it, you can potentially have a 10-win Army team, even though three of those wins came against FCS schools, and that's like, that's a product of the pandemic. But 10-1 and one with an appearance in the Independence Bowl against a Pac-12 school, that's, that's a really good year for any school, honestly. Like, uh, I want to get your thoughts on, on Army, Marshall. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think it's crazy, too, that it's only the first week you're showing back up in the coaches' poll, especially given the fact that some teams are ranked above you haven't even played a single game. You know, like, they're already off to this stellar start, and you get teams. And, and you know, this also kind of not, not to say that we, we're shifting topics right now, but, you know, in terms of what we might talk about later with Cincinnati and some of the top, you know, group of five teams, like, you know, Ohio State ranked above them. And it's like, they haven't played a single game. It's like, what's up with that, man? I hate, I hate that these kind of teams are getting disrespected. Just be like, just based on almost a brand name alone. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think I think college football is at its best this year when you had only eighty, only had like eight teams or so playing. So like you knew it was playing. Like after week one, they kicked all those teams off the eight people. That's how you got Louisiana Tech, or excuse me, Louisiana Lafayette, or as uh, the Cajuns down there want to be called, simply the University of Louisiana, getting up, <laughs> <laughs> getting ranked after the big win against Iowa State. Another team making appearances too, whether it be Marshall as well beating App State, but we'll talk a little bit when it comes to, when it comes to UMass on this podcast. But, I, I mean, I think the thing that's shy, that makes people shy away is um, we've had some quality wins. We beat UTSA, who – UTSA, I think, they've been the most competitive team against BYU, as we'll talk about later on. Uh, only lost to the, to the Cougars by seven, but we beat them by 12 on the road with our six-string quarterback. Pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing how that happened. But uh, – and then you have that game, and of course we beat you know Middle Tennessee, who uh, you know hasn't had a great year. Louisiana Monroe, who probably has uh, one of the worst punters in FCS and FBS. After I don't know if anyone saw his, um, if our listeners saw his 
highlight tape, quote-unquote, against Liberty, where he had a punt blocked, a punt return for a touchdown, and a fumbled snap in the end zone that got recovered for a touchdown. That's absolutely – yeah, it's absolutely insanity. Horrible day. Horrible day for, uh, for any punt. But we beat them as well. And, of course, our three FCS schools and the one loss against Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium. So, I think the one thing that gets us is um, sort of – you have to – I guess kind of take a roundabout, roundabout way of looking at our resume, but with our only loss being to Cincinnati, and I mean, we got some weak wins, but I mean, making a mistake, I mean, Black Knights are playing ball as independent. It's just great to see, to say the least. I would have to agree. I think, you know, the exposure at the beginning of the season, you know, like you said, great, great, uh, great points. Like, uh, sorry, I don't know. What's the word? Like, uh, it's like good exposure, you know, for these teams, really. I mean, you, you have teams like getting noticed that may not get noticed before. I think, I mean, it's almost like kind of highlights the dichotomy between like the respect and the disrespect that group of five teams get again. You know, the fact that they were kicked off so easily. But, you know, Black Knights, I think they finished 10 and 1. You know, that's the top 25 finish for sure. Yeah, and keep in mind, so another thing to look at is uh, with the Independence Bowl, as the bowl representatives were actually in attendance. Uh, so my company's got, they got seats uh, behind the Army bench at the 50-yard line. Great seats. I, I mean, that's one thing I'm thankful for this pandemic, as, as kind of sad as it sounds. I mean, it's horrible. <laughs> but one positive side is no fans. They kind of spread the core cadets out leading to uh, my company getting seats behind the 50-yard line. And I saw these guys with uh, Independence Bowl blazers and bullpens and uh, just kind of, I kind of shouted at them, like, hey, we want USC, and that might be a reality, given the <laughs> we lost. They've already lost two bowls, Marshall. They, uh, the Holiday Bowl's not happening this year. I sat at that's one of my favorite bowls. Yeah. And, um, also, oh, yeah, the Foster, not the Foster Farms Bowl. It's, is it the Foster Farms Bowl? It's the, uh, I think it is Foster Farms. I forget. No, it's the Red Box Bowl. <laughs> the Red Box Bowl, whatever, whatever the San Francisco Bowl is called. I mean, these bowls, uh, sponsorships, they, have, they change so fast. But the Pac-12 has only got six bowls for the 12 teams. So, like, there could be a chance that Army gets a really quality team and not just some, um, some scrub team to play in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. I think the most tragic bowl loss is the loss that Phoenix endured, the loss of the cheez Bowl, relocating <laughs> itself to Orlando. <laughs> but you now have the uh, guaranteed rate bowl. With yeah, the, but that's no cheese at I, I totally understand, totally. But, um, I mean, hey, you got to make the most of it. <laughs> so, so, in continuing our, uh, our talk about the independence, uh, we uh, continue to talk about the independence. Uh, and as we just record, the AP poll came out just now, and it has BYU ranked in the top 10, which is amazing. And you look at BYU's body of work, uh, I'll read it over right now. The first win against Navy, which looked like an, an amazing win, beating them 55-3 to on Labor Day, which, I mean, I had to feel bad for Mitch. And I got a couple friends who, uh, they do a semester exchange program, became good friends with a couple of midshipmen. A shout-out Richard Jin and Brady Schuler. Good guys. But I felt, I felt for, like, the midshipmen that getting, like, beat on national TV on Monday Night Football, like, the Labor Day game is usually, like, a great game for replacing it. But they beat Navy. The next game, they beat a, a solid Troy team who's 3-2 and two right now, 48-7, to seven, blew them out. Game after that, they beat Louisiana Tech, who's kind of hit a rough patch at 3-3, three and three, but they're always a contender in the Cusa West. Like, make no mistake about it. They're not, they're not a doormat there. Week after, they beat UTSA, as we talked to. UTSA has shown – they've showed its medal. They're 4-3. and three. They play good defense. They, they play good ball out there in San Antonio and Alamo Dome. And the week after that – Probably their uh, their first like real huge test, even though UTSA was was a tough one. They beat Houston by uh, seventeen after trailing 
26-14, uh, I think heading to the, it wasn't the fourth quarter, but it was like in the second half, they were down 26-14, end up winning that one 43-26 against the Cougars who are two and one. Uh, they get a bit, they got a bit of a reprieve uh, this past weekend, beating Texas State 52-14. to Texas State's one and six, but they also almost beat Boston College on the road. So, and they also almost beat a SMU. They lost to SMU by one score. But uh, their remaining schedule looks like this, Marshall. They got Western Kentucky at one and five. Western Kentucky, that uh, that should be another blowout because Kentucky they barely beat the Chattanooga Mocs, thirteen uh, ten. Uh, the week after that, they are not the week after. I didn't put the dates here in my notes, but uh, they got Boise State. Uh, I think November 6th on a Friday night, a game I'm actually really excited for. Uh, could That could mean a lot for the New Year's Six race in the group of five and for BYU. Yeah. After that, they got North Alabama, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Another murder. No, no disrespect to the Lions in North Alabama, but I don't I don't see BYU having a problem with them. And especially North Alabama, they've played Liberty, who we'll talk about as well in our independence uh, discussion. Um but their last game, uh, another test against San Diego State. And uh, San Diego State under Brady Hoke, um, the notorious coach who doesn't wear a headset, you know. <laughs> um, for, those who are the, for those of our listeners that listen to that uh, follow college football memes, the uh, non-headset donning Brady Hoke led uh, San Diego State Aztecs won their first game 34-6. Uh, and not forgot to mention earlier, Boise State won their first game as well. But, Marshall, looking at BYU's resume and with them at number 10, the big question comes is, how will, the, how will the playoff committee perceive BYU? Like, do you think BYU is primed for a New Year's Six appearances in that launch? I think it's possible. I think, you know, the, the game against Boise State is probably going to be the biggest sticking point on their resume, um, especially considering the fact that they didn't get to play Army. Uh, you know, none of their games, I mean, you know, save for UTSA were all that close, but it's like, you know, they shouldn't have been close, really. I mean, I guess it's I guess it's tricky too because you have another team in Cincinnati, you know, also making that kind of argument that they should be in that, and so it's almost like it's going to come down to the wire in that sense. And who fumbles first, you know, who is able to maintain that undefeated stretch? Um, but I think if BYU is able to maintain that, I think they can make a really good argument. I mean, think about who some of the teams above them are. Like Penn State just got embarrassed. I mean, okay, not embarrassed, but yeah. the, the way they lost is like, you know, it's like you don't want to lose in that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and you have a few teams above them that I think could are still could, could potentially be primed to lose. I mean, look at Oklahoma State, like the strongest team in the Big 12. Like that's their best case to get into the playoff. And they were taken down to the wire really by Iowa State. Like, and honestly, Oklahoma State wasn't looking, you know, super hot offensively that whole game. It's like all the teams above them, there's, there's definitely like flaws. And I think if these two, if BYU especially is able to maintain, you know, some composure down the line, which they should be able to, um, given a few more losses on the feed. And then, you know, especially considering the fact, you know, you have Georgia right now, Georgia's one loss. I think there's a Ohio State who hasn't played a game. And I think there's another one loss team ranked ahead of them, one or two at least. Um, you know, these teams, if, you, if it comes down to it with weak schedules, you know, a few losses up there, I think, I think it's definitely possible. Yeah, and the thing I'd say about that is, like, um, you bring up Georgia. Georgia already lost to Bama. Um, yeah. Lost divisionally, so they're probably going to have to play Bama again in the title game. And I don't know if they can beat them. So that's, like, that's a two-loss SEC team. That takes away the threat of having a, um, a two-one-loss or, yeah, a one-loss SEC team and then an undefeated SEC team right there. Exactly. It's a way that. The Big Ten, that's still a mystery. I'm going to have to see more of Michigan despite this strong win against Minnesota to even make a judgment on, uh, on the Wolverines to see if they can make it as like, the fourth team as well. 
Uh, so there's another way out for them. Like, I mean, I guess we're talking the playoff, but um, all, all BYU has to do realistically is make the top 12. So Yeah, man, and looking at this again, it's like, I guess like even, yeah, I, uh, yeah, definitely. I was thinking, I guess I was thinking of, especially in terms of playoff, but it, in terms of New Year's Six, 100,000%, yeah. I, I think, so my, my fear is looking at BYU is that the committee will see who they play and play the strength of schedule game despite their, uh, you know, their margin of victory and put them at somewhere like 20. Like it's happened before where a team gets grossly underestimated um, in the AP poll compare or AP or coaches poll compared to the playoff. Like that dissonance always happens every single year with at least one team, you know? So that, that's my one thing that I'm kind of like seeing in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking, I just pulled up the, the new rankings again here. And it's like, so we have Cincinnati, I guess, discussing between Cincinnati and BYU, right? Yeah. So for Cincinnati, you know, they're right now sitting at seven, Oklahoma State above them, Georgia one loss above them, Ohio State. Oh, I guess, you know, they've played one game now. That's, that's my mistake. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma State could, you know, has a shot at losing. Georgia's a shot at losing again. Puts at least, you know, Cincinnati to that kind of like fifth spot, really. And then BYU, you know, three teams sitting above them right now with one loss. You have Florida A&M. And that, and that same Georgia team, it's like, really, they should probably be, you know, three spots higher, throw them to an eight. That's, a, that's a, some good rankings right there going into the final stretch. That's a competitive ball right there for those yeah, I think we'll have to wait till the, Like, we're, we're just kind of ballparking here. We'll have to wait till the first playoff committee ratings come, and then we can, like, resume this argument. But. Yeah, I guess, you know, it is pure speculation, of course. And I, I'm definitely biased towards overranking the group of five teams, so... <laughs> Yeah, you sound like someone who wants to write for Forgotten Five. Shameless plug there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess we can segue now to our independent, the Liberty Flames. And, you know, who would have thought that late October, you know, pre-pandemic and everything, we'd be talking about Liberty Flames being one of the good stories of college football. And, and I know, trust me, I know about the controversy of, um, you know, Jerry Fowler and the leadership of that university. And trust me, it brings, uh, it brings sadness to my heart that, uh, you know, that's how, you know, Christianity is being represented in America. It hurts me, you know. But um, all, all politics and uh, social issues aside, uh, looking at Liberty's resume, so they're a bit different because they don't really have, like, I guess, like the glamour of BYU, you know. BYU, after all, won the 1984 national title, you know, a perennial, like, competitive team. Sure. So schedules look like this. Like, West Kentucky first game, which actually they had um, – they were plus, I think, at least plus 400 odds-wise heading to that game, which looks like an absolute flaw now, as, as Western Tech is 1-5. But um, they won that game by one score, 30-24. to 24. They beat FIU, not an absolutely awful FIU team, who lost to Jacksonville State on Friday, 36-34. Uh, they beat them 36-34, that is. Week after, they beat North Alabama, but in that one, they looked a bit sluggish. The game was 14-0 midway through the third. They beat the Lions 28-7. Week after, they beat Louisa Monroe in that, you know, the punter game as we were talking about after, 40-7 uh, to 7 at home. And then this was, like, their first test. The week after, uh, they had Syracuse. And I, I looked at the Syracuse Liberty line. I thought, so you got Syracuse at the Carrier Dome at home as three-point dogs to a Liberty team that's been untested. But they, uh, man, they, they ran rough shot over the Orange that game as uh, I think they had 200 yard rushers um, in a 38-21 win. Then uh, this week with uh, Southern Miss coaching with their interim interim coach, <laughs> quarterback playing, they uh, pulled away. Uh, the Golden Eagles gave them some trouble, but they pulled away at 36-35 as a Liberty's quarterback. Auburn transfer Malik Wills had over 300 yards passing, uh, six passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. Like a really great performance by, uh, by their QB. 
But this Liberty team, I mean, I think the Q's, the Q's game awakened a lot of people. Like, hey, this team, uh, they're not just a team like, like padding their record. Even though Syracuse is one in five, Syracuse played really well against Clemson this past week. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, you don't know. And they also beat Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech, I know, the 73-7 game, but Georgia Tech beat Florida State. Like, I feel like we're just uh, circling around the ACC, like, who beat who, you know, <laughs> circle. But even then, like, Syracuse isn't a horrible team, even though they're 1-5. Like, um, and you look at Liberty's body of work that'll, that comes to follow. They have Virginia Tech. They got a huge bye week this week preparing for Virginia Tech on the road. Uh, a 4-2 Virginia Tech team that just lost to mm-hmm. or is knocked out of the polls. Western Carolina, Western Carolina, excuse me, FCS school, whatever. NC State also got knocked out of the polls in the ACC, but at four and two. Then uh, Black Friday, you got UMass um, at home, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about the Minuteman app <laughs> in, a, in a bit of curiosity. But, uh, and then to finish off, this is a really fascinating game for me, Marshall. Uh, in fact, in the, uh, in the Forgotten Five Discord, uh, our, our head writer, head staffer, Nick Lewis, posed the questions like, how many of you guys actually think Coastal Carolina and Liberty come in under for their December 5th showdown? And that's a great question because Coastal's, a, they're, they're the darling of college football now. Like, everyone loves the teal uniforms, you know, the, uh, you know, just the whole vibe around that team. I mean, it's fun. Oh, yeah. Thank for the first time ever. But that looks like it could be one of the games of the year, honestly. But uh, so, Marshall, looking at the Liberty Flames's, you know, body of work in their upcoming slate, what do you think happens if they run the table? Do you think they sneak in top 12 they run the table? Because if they beat Virginia Tech and North Carolina State, which doesn't seem too unrealistic, you know, uh, at least to me, like it doesn't seem like that much of like it is a long shot, but it's not crazy things have happened, to say the least. Sure, sure. I, mean, I think, you, you know, I, th- I think if they are able to, yeah, yeah, if they're, no, you're good, you're good. If they are able to get to that last game undefeated, I think you have to give them that respect. Like that North Carolina State team, that Virginia Tech team, those are two good teams. I mean, looking back, like, of course, North Carolina State just lost, you know, this last weekend, a little bit ugly uh, to UNC. <laughs> but, I mean, earlier in the season, they lost by one to Pitt. You know, it's like Virginia Tech, like, earlier, you know, they played, they played well against, like, Boston College. They played well against Duke. They played well against North Carolina. Like, these aren't, these aren't shabby teams, you know. I think, I think you have to give Liberty that respect if they're able to do it. So, the thing is, though, if it comes down, you got, you got BYU and Liberty – ranked in the top 12. Heck, I mean, even even throw in Army. Like, I mean, it's a long shot that they put us in the top 12 given our three FCS losses, but we're still a 10-1 team. Sure. And so this is more so BYU versus Liberty issue. Like, who are you picking? Because BYU, I mean, I think I think the committee would take wins over Virginia Tech, NC State, and even Syracuse over, you know, BYU's best wins over Houston, Boise, and San Diego State. So if it comes down to, like, picking one team for an outlier spot in the New Year's Six, like, who are you picking? That's tricky. That's a that's a really good question. I think too you have to look at like margin of victory too. So it's like BYU, you know, their margin of victories have been much greater than that of Liberty. And I mean, I think at least of comparable like you know statue of opponents. But you know, I, I do think those three wins are better if Liberty's able to get them. So I, I think you'd have to get, you know, it's weird because BYU is obviously ranked so much higher right now. But I think at the end of the day, you would have to give Liberty kind of the tip there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough, too, because you look at Liberty's earlier body of work, and this could just be attributed to the team, like, gaining game experience. But, like, Western Kentucky, they had played uh, Louisville the week before they played uh, Liberty in their season, yeah. Liberty season debut. So they had a game experience over Liberty, and they only beat the Hilltoppers, who are 1-5, not looking good at all, by 6. 
And then you look at the following week against FIU, which that was FIU's first game. They only beat the Panthers by two. Uh, and even then, mentioning the North Alabama game, they kind of looked sloppy. Uh, I didn't watch the game, but looking at the stats, and it was only a 14 nothing game midway through the third. Like, it looked sloppy there, but to say the least, like, this team's caught fire. I mean, they've had like, – they, they have a good downhill running game. And the thing is, the downhill running game chews the clock, takes it out of the hands of their defense, which might be a good thing for Liberty when they play Virginia Tech and NC State. Like that good downhill running game where they've had four separate guys have 100-yard rushing games. It's absolutely incredible. But, uh, yeah, like, I mean, that, that could be the recipe for them to at least claim one of those games for sure. But I think the race and the independence for, like, New Year's Six, that'll, that'll definitely be – that's definitely a headline, an underrated headline in college football the rest of this year that people should watch out for, I think. And even the Heisman race, too, what that means for the Heisman race. Like, you got undefeated uh, BYU coming in the last game. Like, where do you put Zach Wilson in the Heisman race, you know? I mean, I think – I don't know if I – you think? Do you think people would give him give him a real shot? Uh, I mean, you talking about uh, Zach Wilson for the Heisman? Yeah. Well, here's the way I view it. Like, I mean, he's put up great stats. Yeah, uh, they are playing the West Coast time slots for the most part. But I mean, that he's had that to himself for the, like you know before the Mountain West even started playing the Pac-12. So he's he's been in positions where he's been the only game on TV, especially the Navy game. Hmm. Every day weekend. So he's, had the, he's had the exposure. I mean, he's kind of got the social media following. Like, uh, I know the official Church of Latter-day Saints, Latter-day Saints statement is to not call them Mormons, but, you know, the term Mormon Manziel, like, it's catchy. It gets people going on Twitter. I think, And the stats are there. Like, he almost has – I think there's a stat where he almost has uh, as much touchdowns as incompletions. Like, the ratio is, like, really interesting. I think it's, like, almost a one-to-one ratio in terms of touchdowns and interceptions. But I really think they could give him a shot because, like, he's going to be playing a full schedule compared to, like, Justin Fields and other guys like that, you know? Yeah. No, I get it. I, I follow him. I think, I think it might be too much to beat out the brand name programs kind of there because if you have, like, an undefeated, you know, Alabama and then you have, like, an undefeated, you know, Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, like, I don't know. I think he, you put him in that conversation, but I'm not sure he'll be able to pull that one out. So I'll have to watch. I'll have to look at the Heisman watch, but I think uh, I think I saw something somewhere, like some writer put Zach Wilson's like four or three in the Heisman race right now. As uh, yeah, you know, I think I think that's pretty reasonable. So yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I think I think he'll make it. If there's, I think it'll probably be a virtual ceremony for the Heisman. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, but I think he'll be a finalist. I, I would have to agree. I, I think you could give him the finalist, but I just don't see him realistically winning, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, as sad as it is, I mean, I don't think we'll ever see a, a group of five or a Heisman winner. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, you'll see guys pop up, like Jordan Lynch in 2013 for those great Northern teams. You had uh, Colt Brennan in 07 uh, making it all the way for Hawaii. And, like, I think a crazy stat is Hawaii didn't play a game on um, that wasn't, like, past, I think, 8 or – I think it was – I think all the games were past 10 o'clock Eastern time. Like, every single one of them was. or something crazy like that. Like, one or two, if anything, were that late. And he still made it somehow. And then Kellen Moore, of course. It's just hard to find group of five candidates that people – you know, rally behind. It's really sad. Yeah. Has the – have there been – like, who was the last group of five winner of the Heisman? Was there? Uh, you'd have to look at Ty Detmer from a BYU um, in 1990. Uh, huh. Uh, yeah, and the funny thing about that is the day he was awarded the Heisman Trophy, I think they are playing Hawaii, and Hawaii just absolutely stomped him on the, on the, on the island. <laughs> <laughs> they dropped a 50-burger on the Cougars, but I've seen highlights of the game, like – they had no answers for that team that day. Like, it was weird. Dude, I'm looking at this now. What a different world, you know. 
Ty Demmer there, and then the year before, we got Andre Ware from Houston. Oh, yeah, the Southwest Conference, though, is probably, I mean, you know this, man, being a, being a big Texas guy, that all it was a power conference for all intents and purposes. I, you know, I suppose you're right. Yeah, that, you know, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a discussion for another time. I mean, if you want to have it. Uh, but moving on to our, I guess, our last topic in the independent realm, uh, UMass. Kind of a curious case here. Like, I have an article for Forgotten Five dropping tomorrow about UMass's schedule, their plight, you know, like what's the end they're looking for exactly. They made their season <laughs> debut uh, a week ago against the Georgia Southern where they got beat 41 to nothing. They, they got an ESPN2 appearance, great for the program, the exposure, but they were competing against other games. So, like, who really was watching if you weren't, you know, gambling on the game, you know? Um, like, were you really watching? And they got, they got embarrassed 41 to nothing. They added two more games. They added a game against Marshall on November 7th, and they added a road game. They're both road games. Added a road game against uh, Liberty on Black Friday. You know, Black Friday's got a traditionally light slate, so that could be some room for exposure for both schools. Pretty cool. But my point I'm making is here, the Minutemen are in an interesting position where they can actually impact the New Year's Six race with, they don't even have to win these games. They just have to kind of like, against that Marshall game, if they play very competitively and hang around to the end, like Marshall might, uh, they might look at that on Marshall's resume and not put them in the top of the New Year's Six because Marshall's undefeated right now. They had that big win against App State on CBS and a very interesting, you know, game exposure-wise for both programs. So Marshall's already ranked. People, like, you know, we can talk all we want about, you know, the American, BYU, Liberty, but Marshall's also there. I mean, they got to say it. They're, eight, they're, I think they're 19 in the coaches' poll or the AP poll. And then just talking about Liberty, if Liberty ends up running the table, you know, with uh, their two wins against ACC schools, UMass be playing another top 25 team. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, Marshall, about the UMass Minutemen from Amherst, from Western Massachusetts, possibly influencing the New Year's Six race? I mean, I think it's crazy that they, you know, they could, honestly. The, you know, it's just, it blows my mind that they're even playing, honestly. Like, you know, they came out the season, they had what, one game scheduled initially. And, yeah, that same one game, yeah. Yeah, they, and they like lost, what was that thing you sent me? It's like they lost money on it. Like they're, the, the amount of money they were paid didn't even cover the team's travel expenses. It's like yeah. the fact that they're playing is, I don't know what they're playing for. You know, like they're not, they're not really good. Like, yeah, they can have an impact now, but that, just, that blows me away. Yeah, like, I just think it's interesting. It's just crazy. Like, uh, I feel like they saw the window for the exposure for the program. And there's, like, looking at it, there's tons of teams. Like, UMass can realistically add games on December 5th and December 12th because a ton of Conference USA teams, especially Rice, who, like, played their first game in that crazy game against Middle Tennessee yesterday. Like, Rice had a bunch of non-conference games canceled or not canceled. Oh, yeah, canceled, I guess. Yeah. And as well as them. Like, I mean, Mar- I mean – UMass, excuse me, could uh, hop on and get a couple other non-conference games because looking at it and uh, doing the research for this article that's going to drop tomorrow, uh, they say that it costs more to run a home game as counterintuitive as it sounds because you have to hire security staff, you got to hire like a bunch of other staff and you have to also pay the people to make the travel. You know? So if they get the right paycheck, the funny thing about the Liberty game is Liberty's got deep pockets. I mean, they paid, uh, I looked in doing research for the article, they're paying Texas State $1.1 million. Like, they're, they're the ones handing out the paycheck games. What? Yeah, it is. I'll, I'll send you the link to that, Marshall. It's, it's crazy. Because I'm telling you, like, what I said about Liberty being the Notre Dame of, of uh, you know, Protestant Christianity, like, it's 100% true. They got loaded pockets. And, you know, they have a great online or a huge online enrollment. 
Like they, they're, I mean, money-wise, some of their facilities are better than power five schools from what I've heard. That's absolutely insane. I had no idea. But yeah, like that's the perfect opportunity for UMass to take a paycheck game, but they chose to not take it, to not charge the any fees. And it's like, what are we doing guys? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, before my framework was, you know, this struggling team with like no money, but now that they have the money, I'm like, I guess any bit of exposure is good exposure. So screw it. Yeah. I mean, like in the past, like a little brief history about UMass football and, um, you know, and that, at the FBS level, they've had their like times, like where they kind of, I guess I would say shine in the national level or like play competitively, like uh, the 2015 Toledo team that beat uh, both Iowa State and Arkansas. That was in the talk for the New Year's Six for a while before they lost. Like uh, UMass had them, they led them at the half in that game. I think it might have been by a couple of scores, but they certainly led them at the half in 2015. Then you have uh, 2017 uh, where they led, um, or 2016, my mistake, where they were very competitive against Florida. Only lost that one 24 7. And then in 2017, uh, I remember, I still remember this to this day, I was watching the Nuna ABC game and I see an in game update for UMass Mississippi State and the Minutemen are leading the Bulls 20 to 13 at the half. So, I mean, yeah. you know, there is a chance for them to sort of, you know, be a, a blemish on someone's resume. Like, I, I think it's pretty cool if you're, if you're UMass. I don't think that's what they had in mind, to be honest with you. But it'll be inter- interesting to see where the, uh, the boys from Amherst, Massachusetts, how they play a role this year, you know, maybe that can be a consolation for the beatings they take, you know. Yeah, definitely I'd have to agree. So uh, moving on to our last topic, uh, I guess it's been a crescendo up to this point, but <laughs> we had a huge win last night against SMU. Who, I mean, that was honestly, I, I thought game day should have gone to SMU, but that's, that's another discussion for another time. <laughs> I'm not surprised that game day just crapped on the group of five for them. Whatever. Like, it, it happens. It always does. But Cincinnati's a huge win. They're undefeated. And if you look at Cincinnati right now, like, they're going to run through their American schedule. I don't have it on hand, but it is the American, you know, the, the ghost of the Big East, if you will. I have it pulled up here. I'll, tell, I'll let you know. Okay. So, yeah. so next week we have them going, going uh, <laughs> or Memphis coming to them. The week after we have Houston coming to them. Then you have Eastern Carolina coming to them. And then you have three straight road games to end it at UCF, at Temple, and at Tulsa. Okay, yeah, those are that's that's a pretty good slate, especially the uh, the Memphis game. That that can be a resume building win, of course, in UCF as well. And the thing that Cincinnati has at Ohio State, you know, the SEC. I mean, even though it probably wouldn't come down to them in the SEC team for the fourth spot, or are um, like is a great non-conference win, and and that comes in the form of Army. If Army wins ten and one, I mean, if Army wins out, goes ten and one, like Army could be that resume building win for a playoff for um, Cincinnati team on the edge of the playoff, or even come going into the playoffs. So, Marshall, in your in your eyes, what needs to happen for Cincinnati to make the playoff other than them winning out? Like, who do you think needs to lose? Like, what do you think needs to happen? I think, like you said, I think Army needs to win and SMU needs to continue to win just for their own resume's sake. And then moving forward, I think we're going to need Oklahoma State to lose. I think something's going to have to happen between, you know, Ohio State and Notre Dame. I think I don't think if the if they finish you know undefeated, I don't think you put Georgia above them because I think Georgia, like you said earlier, I think they might get that second loss again against Alabama. I think Oklahoma State, you know, it's you know they're a good team, but I just don't know if they have they're good, they're good defensively, but I I just don't know if I can see them see them completely winning out. Let me let me pull up their schedule real quick here. They have game. Oh, they have a real tough one next week. A real tough one. You got the Longhorns coming into them. <laughs> <laughs> but 
uh, the week after, oh, they have two two road games against tough opponents. They have Kansas State. They have Oklahoma. Those are two good teams. You know, they. they I think they could drop one of those pretty easily. It's just tough because then you're looking at Ohio State and Notre Dame, and it's like, do either of those teams lose? That's a good point. I think uh, on your point with the Big 12, so like looking at the Big 12, I think Kansas State needs to win out because Kansas State has an ugly loss against Arkansas State um, you know, early in the year, which kind of got people going on the Big 12 train, you know, crapping the Big 12. Uh, also, I think in terms of that as well, so if you look at the ACC with how that's going to shake out, so Notre Dame's going to play Clemson. Uh, I forget when they're going to do it, but they're going to play Clemson. That'll probably be a loss for Notre Dame. And Notre Dame it's in uh, two weeks. In two weeks. Wow, how exciting. I'm, I'm actually hyped for that game. Uh, like, um, and then you have uh, Notre Dame playing North Carolina on Black Friday. So you have the top three teams, like the, the top three of the ACC, or the top three teams in the ACC, like devouring each other. Uh, so you're going to have probably a two-loss ACC team in the ACC title game. So that gives out hope of the ACC being a two-bit conference, I think, at least, unless Notre Dame – I don't know if Notre Dame can compete that well against Clemson. Like, we'll just have It'll to- be interesting. So, it's like, like, let's assume let's assume that they lose against Clemson, right? Yeah. I don't know if a loss to Clemson is enough to put them out of the top four, you know? So, it, it's kind of, I think, going to have to come down to them <laughs> that, that uh, game against UNC on Black Friday. And then looking at Ohio State, it's like, you know, they have actually three, three tough games on their schedule. They got Penn State, they got Indiana, and they got Michigan, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they'll probably be the more likely to clean up those games than I think Notre Dame is to clean up their games. Um, so, man, really, it's kind of coming down to almost Cincinnati versus Notre Dame, I think, for the, for the spot, for the last spot. So, keep in mind, Notre Dame's eligible to the ACC title, too. So, like, that's why I say, like, you can have easy. No, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no matter who wins North Carolina, uh, Notre Dame, you can have a, you know, the game's going to probably have two losses if Clemson wins out. So so what do you think happens if, let's say, Clemson and Notre Dame go into the title and then Clemson beats them again? So then you have two loss Notre Dame coming out of that. You think you can put them at four? No, I don't think so. I, I just don't think you put two loss team over an undefeated, uh, you know, group of five team that's showed merit, like, and has a strong non-conference win in this year, like, uh, and also the the American, honestly, the American, I don't think they're lagging too behind the ACC in terms of ability-wise. Like, cause you got SMU, you have UCF. UCF made light work of Georgia Tech, uh, light work of Georgia Tech early on in the season. And then who else do you have contending in there? Um, let's see, in the West. Yeah, Memphis, too. Like, Memphis, like, Memphis isn't a bad team. They may, they may have lost to SMU, but they're, they're not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah. I think just like them, if now if we're talking a team out in this year, whether it was um, Louisiana, which that was something that we've talked about before, where, okay, say Louisiana runs the table and uh, Iowa State wins the Big 12. So what do we do about Louisiana? Like, obviously, if you have Louisiana and Notre Dame, they're going to make the choice for a two-loss Notre Dame in that case over a uh, Sunbelt school. Yeah. But this is the America we're talking about. Power six, baby. Power six. Well, I bring this up. I mean, I want to bring this up. The Pac-12. So the Pac-12 only playing a six-game slate. Do you think they put in a Pac-12 team? With- yeah, there's no I, – I don't think there's any – I don't think there's any way the Pac-12 gets in. I mean, it's, dude, I mean, let's look at right now their highest. So they have, I guess, preseason ranked Oregon at 14. I mean, Oregon's schedule, you know, very short. They don't really have any – like, it's like they're all the Pac-12 schools, you know, but there's nothing that really yeah. stands out on it. I mean, looking at who else even gets votes in the Pac-12, I, I mean – 
it looks like. I think SC's at 21, right? Yeah, you have USC at 21. That's my bad. I totally missed that. And then I think you get votes from – then you have seven votes for Arizona State. It's like, what? <laughs> you have four, And then you have four votes for Cal. Like, dude, these are not – people are not respecting these teams. USC, let's see, they have ASU, they got U of A, Utah, Colorado, Washington State, and UCLA. Like, again, it's like you can't, you can't make a playoff caliber resume off of six games and all of your opponents are unranked. Like, you know, they're good opponents. You know, they're power five. But – Dude, there's no way, especially if you get like a Cincinnati going in undefeated, you get BYU going undefeated. You know, even you, even you have like Marshall and Coastal Carolina, dude, they come in undefeated. I think you have to give the respect to them, honestly. I think that's bold, giving Coastal Carolina's non conference win, or one of them, because they played multiple. One of their non conference wins was against Kansas. <laughs> we see this year. Hey, that's a power five win. It is, but it's Kansas, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Less miles or not. And hey, if you. Marshall, App State, I mean, App State's a great, like, they're a great team, but people are going to play the whole, like, you know, group of five, like, you know, it's a group of five environment itself and whatnot, you know? I mean, yeah, but if think about it. If you have, you know, Marshall at 19 right now, let's say Oregon at 14, right? So Oregon goes 6-0, and and then you have Marshall. They would be at, what, 10 or 11-0? I think like, 10. I think they had a game canceled, like 9 or 10-0. Yeah, I mean, that's not – you have to put some respect to that, in my opinion. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, but I guess I, you know, end of the day, I guess it's a bit semantic to argue about like them versus like Oregon or them versus USC, because at the end of the day, it would come down to like Oregon versus like a Cincinnati or BYU, and I think you have to give the respect, especially Cincinnati, over them in that circumstance. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, I think this is the best playoff race we've had. I'm very excited for for the for that reason with Cincinnati, but. Um, you know, it'll just be interesting to see down the stretch. Like, all this is just speculation before the first pick playoff ratings comes to fruition. I think that it's going to be um, sometime in November in this really weird year. But uh, we'll just have to see. Like, it's, it's exciting. This this feels like, you know, a interesting season for an interesting year to say the least. <laughs> I have to agree. I think I think they should do this more often. They should have all kinds of varying amounts of games played and all kinds of varying schedules and cancellations and shifts. That makes it way more interesting. <laughs> this this feels like this feels like World War II scheduling, to be honest with you. You know, it's what it's what college football should be. <laughs> I don't know about that, Marshall, but uh, I mean, you can make the argument for sure. But I mean, myself, I don't really know about that. But you know, it'd be interesting. What? So imagine you have two polls, right? And you get the top, let's say, 10 uh, power five teams. And then your other bracket, call it, is the top 10 group of five and independents. And you either have them play, you know, 10v1 across bracket, or you could have each bracket play each other and the champion is crowned from between. I mean, see, that's, that's an interesting take out. At playoff expansion, the one argument, of course, is the regular season. I'm a huge fan of the regular season, too, and also the bowl model. Newly branded as bowl season, I should say, <laughs> in notable news this week. I can't believe <laughs> that. But that's the one thing, too. The heritage of bowls, it's like, dude, people don't want to mess with that, especially the Rose Bowl. I am, I will die on my sword for the Rose Bowl. If anything happens to the Rose Bowl, I, I don't know if I could watch college football again. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I don't know why I thought about that, but that, that makes me think, you know, we have to make our next topic, our next, uh, our next cast here. We have to put back in there the bowl expansion or the, the relegate thoughts of relegation. I can't believe we forgot about that. 
Yeah. Well, I think I think we planned a um, what we changed about college football podcast. I think we planned that. We had that in the works. All right. All right. Well, listeners, listeners, ready up. We're going to have you listening to us talk about what we would change in college football next time on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On um, the podcast, formerly known as 100 Years Podcast. But uh, before we go, Marshall, do you have any final statements? Um, my final statements are I, I wish I didn't have this Cowboys game going this whole time. They're just getting <laughs> absolutely mollywhomped. I don't know if you've seen the score. It's 3-25. to 25. Oh Andy God. Dalton got injured. We have Ben DiNucci in right now at quarterback. DiNucci, the pride of James Madison. Oh, my Lord, dude. This is just an absolute dumpster fire on a train wreck. <laughs> and, and a dog just took a shit all over it. And like, I don't, oh I don't know God. what's going on here. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, the, the Niners, too, um, not looking so good. Especially that Dolphins game a couple weeks ago like that. Hey, but the Dolphins are kind of nice. I mean, with Ryan yeah, Fitzpatrick, yeah. with Ryan Fitzpatrick, they're nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hurt by that. I am, I'm one of the biggest supporters of Ivy League football you can imagine, and uh, that just hurts me my soul. I mean, did you see that statement when he said, I just felt like this was my team, and it hurts? Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Like, that's how yeah. I Oh, Even God, if you look man. back to last year as well, that win over the Patriots, that was Fitz's team. Bro, that brings a tear to your eye. Oh, my yeah. goodness. But um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see on that front as well. Uh, oh, until next time, whenever, <laughs> you know, given our busy schedules as uh, students, uh, we'll, we'll see. Or um, I don't know if we'll see, you know, because we're not looking at the, you know, our cameras on. But uh, we'll catch you next time, you know, whenever that is. Peace, love, and uh, and soul, everyone. Thank you all, all three of you, for listening. <laughs> <laughs>